Welcome to the Axial Spondyloarthritis Podcast, hosted by me, Jason Sacco. I'm a longtime spondy looking to bring the community closer to give the community a voice. I'll be reaching out to organizations, doctors, nutritionists, and anyone that I think can help increase our spondy quality of life. Enjoy and learn what is available to make your life better. Welcome to this week's episode of the Axial Spondyloarthritis Podcast. I always am looking for different but applicable topics that are part of the world that we deal with under axial spondyloarthritis. One of those is depression, and depression can manifest itself in all sorts of different ways, but one of them is in relationships with our partners via sex, via intimacy, all of that. And today, I was very lucky to be able to talk with Joellen Nadian. And Joellen, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for asking. One thing that caught my attention when I first saw it was the book that you authored, and it was called The Monster Under the Bed that deals with sex, depression, and the conversations we aren't having. And that's so true. I can tell you that coming from both the spouse that wasn't dealing with the depression and the spouse that was dealing with the depression. What drove you into writing this book? Because there's not really many that are like this out there. So when I was younger, I fell into a big depressive episode in my 20s. I was in a relationship at the time and I didn't know much about depression or antidepressants or any of that stuff. So when the relationship wasn't doing great and when we weren't having sex and whatever, we both just looked at it and said, well, you know, that's depression or that's what antidepressants do. And just assumed it was fine and normal. And then a couple of years went by and we got my meds right finally and I started feeling better and the depression kind of lifted and I looked around and realized I didn't want to be in that marriage. And so some of that lack of passion and spark and whatever that was there was just that. It wasn't the depression. It was just it wasn't a good relationship for us. So I got out of it and I started writing about sex for a living and thought like the depression and all that stuff was in my past. And now I was going to have this cool, fun, happy life. Somewhere in that, I started feeling depressed again and I got put on a new medication and I found I wasn't able to have orgasms on it. The medication, in addition to taking away orgasms, made me kind of lethargic and and I didn't want to do anything. And I realized that it was very similar to how I had felt on the medication I was on in my relationship. And it started to like things started to fall into place. And I started to see what maybe had been the meds and what had been the relationship and all of those different pieces. And I realized nobody was talking about it. So I wrote my first post about it in, God, I think 2012 now. And that first post got all this response, all of these people saying, you know, I'm experiencing that, that's happened to me. It just kind of snowballed from there. I, I went from writing that post to writing a couple things a year to starting to do surveys to see what people were experiencing. And it all ultimately led to the monster under the bed. That's one of the things that really caught my attention about this book. You weren't a researcher that just found it to be an interesting topic. It was actually a topic you were dealing with and had your own life experience with and wanted to delve farther into how it affected not only you, but everybody around you or people that you could come into contact with. It's true. And I was very self-conscious when this topic became something I, I realized I wanted to write about and learn about and stuff because I'm not a doctor. I'm not a therapist. And so I thought, well, like, what can I do for people? How can I address this in a way that's ethical and safe and, and healthy? 
one of my kind of mentors in my field said to me, get numbers, ask people questions, get information about what people are dealing with. And that way you can both show people other people are dealing with this and you can gather the information you're looking for in a way that is safe and, and healthy. And in the end worked out really well between the interviews and the surveys. I spoke to 1300 people. That was response that was beyond my dreams. Oh, I imagine. Yeah. I guess the good thing, if there's a good thing about depression, is that it kind of affects us, I don't want to say all the same, but there's some similar traits that run across depression, regardless of what the condition is that brought you to that. Well, you yourself don't have ankylosing spondylitis, you can certainly relate when somebody that says they do have this or rheumatoid arthritis or any other type of condition and says, I'm depressed because fill in the blank. My old life is no longer mine. My partner no longer finds me sexy. I can no longer perform the way I think I need to perform. And, and the list of, you know, whatever topic you want to fill in just carries on. And I mean, additionally, pain in and of itself can be a tremendous trigger for depression. I don't think we give that enough weight when we talk about it. We like separate them out. But for myself, I know I've been through some bouts of spinal pain and, and surgeries and stuff in my life. They have almost always come with depressive episodes just because the pain can trigger that for me personally. And I'm sure that's true for a lot of people. Very much so. I would think when you look at it, when you're in pain, you don't want to be touched or touch anybody. So that's the first line. But then on top of it, and it's seeming to maybe come away a little bit with it, but then the second line for pain, they were handing out opiates left and right. That's going to dull it right there on top of any pain you're dealing with. The pain might go away, but that doesn't mean it's fixed the problem. Where I don't have, per se, like I haven't had back surgery, I can relate to what you say when you say you have a bad back. You certainly aren't going to say, hey, what's the craziest thing we can go do intimately now? <laughs> you know, yes. it's like, all right, I'll get on the bed and hopefully if I scream, you realize it's pain or enjoyment and can understand the difference between the two. <laughs> exactly. It adds this whole sex can be a loaded enough topic for people to begin with. But when you're somebody dealing with chronic health issues and it adds a whole other layer to whether it be taking away your interest and your desire or just changing how you have to do things to accommodate for your physical needs. In a world that tells us that good sex just kind of naturally happens and you don't need to talk about it, it makes you have to talk about it a whole lot. And a lot of us aren't prepared for that. I'm a very, very big believer when you start a relationship with someone and there's going to be intimacy involved, you kind of sit down and say, what's on the list? What do you want? What do you not want? Let me tell you what I can give you, what I can't give you. It's very open. That's a maybe a hard discussion for a lot of people, but it does save a lot of maybe future fights when you say, look, I told you this was something I can't do. Please understand to the wonderment of some of my past partners. They understand because of my condition, missionary position is pretty much off the shelf. Right. It's not going to happen. I've had to learn other ways, other styles, other items to do. It's worked. Nobody's complained, at least to my face. So, you know, I'm happy that way. But I can certainly understand if you're not willing to open up that topic, you're not willing to broach it, and you're thinking that sex is just missionary position, it's done, you could be in for a, a lot of depressive thoughts and going forward just because you're not addressing your needs. I think depression and honestly, a lot of chronic illness get this reputation as things that, that ruin our relationships. Right. Our relationship was great, but then 
she had depression and now it's bad. But I actually think that what preys on a lot of our relationships is resentment. And we don't know how to have these conversations or we don't think to bring these things up. And so we end up resenting each other, right? So in the first relationship I was in with depression, I didn't know how to talk about it. And so my partner didn't know how to show up for me. And I didn't know how to say, I can't have sex right now because this, but let's talk about these other things. And so in the end, we just resented the hell out of each other. And that is not the recipe for a happy relationship. Very true. I want to jump back to your book here for just a few moments. One of the things that I did find interesting about it was you had mentioned all the people that you had discussed their sex lives, their intimacy, everything with them. You broke it up and said, here's what people I've talked with are dealing with. And you can see yourself either fully or partially in a lot of those situations. And then part two was facing it. How do I knock it out? How do I deal with it? Yeah. And that actually came about because the responses I got from the surveys and the interviews totally changed the direction of the book in the middle of the process. I was originally writing it as a book that I could take the research from the initial survey and say, this is what people are experiencing. And if you're experiencing this too, you're not alone. And isn't that great? But as the interviews went on and people started talking more and more about what was successful for them in terms of navigating these situations together, it became clear that we had enough data for a part of the book to be about how do you take this on? How can you support each other? How can you keep each other happy and healthy? And even when the health piece isn't there naturally. And that was a huge surprise to me. I did not expect to be able to have that information for this book. Very well laid out, very easy to read. And one of the things I liked about it was you don't have to necessarily remember chapter one when you get to chapter three. Right. Each one can stand alone as 25, 30 pages of material that you can learn from. If you do remember it, great, but it's not going to affect each chapter as you go forward. Yes. And part of why the book is laid out the way it is, I know what it's like for me when I'm down in a depressive episode to try and read a book and retain information. And it's really difficult. And so for me, it was really important that we make the book exist in little digestible bits. And we recorded an audiobook for that same reason, because I know that when chronic health issues are, are flaring up, a lot of times our focus and our ability to retain information go downhill. And I wanted the book to exist in ways that could kind of cater to that. Joellen has a website called Redhead Bedhead. Dot com. And when you go to the website, you'll see exactly why it's named what it is. <laughs> Joellen covers all sorts of topics. And one I want to touch briefly on, you have quite a bit on there on sex toys, a whole section on stuff to check out for reviews. One thing I didn't even know existed, which is a superhero sex shop list and a map across. Yeah, that's my list. I thought that was fantastic. But when we look at, say, from a man's point of view, I see men maybe reluctant, and, and maybe it's by age. Maybe the younger the man is, the more reluctant he is to introduce toys, and the older there's a comfort level and he's more open to it. For somebody that's living with a chronic pain issue. What are maybe some good toys that they can look at on your website to consider? I'm going to start with my recommendations for men because I feel like in terms of toys, historically, there's been so much less available to them. So the idea is a bit more foreign for a lot of men. But I have been recommending this, this item called the Hot Octopus Pulse for the last couple of years. It's a stroker, except instead of vibration, it uses oscillation. So it stimulates in a different way than we're used to. And what's great about it is that one of the big benefits is it does not require an erection to use. 
So especially for people who are experiencing erectile dysfunction due to their medications or due to really any reason, it's an option to give them that pleasure when the erection isn't happening. And I think that's something a lot of pressure gets put on erections, right? And I think when they're not happening, we might think our door to pleasure is closed and it's great to have options for them. Additionally, there are sleeves that go on the top of those like big wand vibrators, like the Hitachi type of vibrators. There are sleeves that fit on them that are designed to serve as a stroker for a penis. And they also do not require an erection to use or to have an orgasm with. And those are like two of my big favorites to recommend to people who are dealing with any kind of erectile dysfunction or even pain because not just the pain itself, but you mentioned earlier, the medications we get to like help us with the pain, they can often make us not have orgasms anymore. So these powerful products can kind of help us get kind of up and around that barrier sometimes, which is, I think, good for everybody. I was on a medication. This, I hope, is not too much TMI for the listeners, but I discovered it allowed what was called an internal ejaculation. Mm-hmm. First time I had ever A, heard of it, B, encountered it. I told the doctor, you got to get me off this med. This is horrible. I guess what it did, though, is as I encountered these different situations, it made me much more at ease of discussing them just with anybody. I know that's not the case for many. I worked with my different past partners. One thing that I found that was really beneficial, because again, with my my fuse back and my hip issues and my multiple hip replacements, I decided that, oh, I don't even remember how I found it. It was a pretty cool toy called the Womanizer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think my ex probably caused them to make a fortune that one year (laughs) um, because she went through a number of those. It was fantastic. It was a great toy for both use as a couple in independent use. And I know there's ones that are kind of a little more advanced now, but I think that that's been just an amazing toy for women who are dealing with any type of pain issues as well, or as like we did as a couple. Yeah. Womanizer kind of kicked off this whole new genre of toys because they're toys that stimulate through uh, like air suction rather than typical vibration. And a lot of people who've struggled to orgasm even have found those really beneficial. Now, I always give my disclaimer that I am somebody for whom those toys do not work. And so it's important to know, folks, that even if something is working great for a whole lot of people, it might not work for you and that's okay. It just means it's not the toy for you. For people who run into that, I come back to recommending the big wand massagers, which are fun for couples to play with together and to use alone and are incredibly powerful and stimulate a broader surface area, which can be helpful for people who find the really pinpoint stimulation like the womanizer gives not effective for them. Again, go to the link for Joellen's website on my show notes. It'll take you right to her website where you can look at all the different topics, including a lot of online learning reviews and shopping if you should choose to so that you can go in and read what others are saying about different sex toys and know the good, the bad, and the ugly, so to speak, and what might work and then kind of try from there. Exactly. And, you know, it's a topic I don't ever remember people talking about when I was younger. And I feel like in the last decade or so, people are talking so much more about these different options we have sexually and products that are available. And I think some of the stigma for that stuff is going away. That is something I'm really excited about for the people coming up after me who are looking for these things. 
because I know they're easier to find now than when I was young. Oh, yeah. Adult toy stores when I was a kid were these seedy little stores in the bad part of town. You only went there during daytime because you didn't want to be caught there at night. That's really changed in the last 25-ish years. It's only to the betterment of people as they have a greater access to this. The Internet's been great because if you're embarrassed about going into a store to talk about something, you can still get online and read 5,000 reviews on it. Exactly. Know more about it from reading the reviews than you would have ever known 25 years ago by just walking into the local store where the clerk might have said, I don't know. Yeah, and that's why actually the superhero sex shop list that you mentioned came about because we wanted to build a resource like that where people could go and a lot of the shops have online shopping and a lot of them have blogs where they'll talk about the different topics, why these toys are good for this thing or why how this is working for other people. And so you can learn a lot. There's a lot of education incorporated in the shopping, which I think is not something 20 years ago you would get in an adult shop. Using your map, you can pretty much start in the northern border of Washington and Canada and work your way up and down across the United States and end up in Maine. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that you have covered in these different places. So it's really, really neat to see because that's a list that even 10 years ago wouldn't have existed. No, and it's grown over the years. I put that map together in 2013 when I moved across the country. I always say I went from one Portland to the other Portland and I hit all the shops in between. The amount of shops that have opened since then has been staggering. And yeah, we've lost some too. And, you know, businesses ebb and flow, but there are certainly so many more options than there used to be. Yes, there's just so many more different things that from informational purposes to products, it's amazing what they can do now and, and the different products that have internet connections and, you know, you can be in separate rooms. Hell, you can be in separate countries yeah. if you both have Wi-Fi connections. So it's really crazy some of the stuff that's come down the pipeline. So let's say that I'm a person that has chronic pain. I'm dealing with depression. I'm on a medication. Let's say I have no libido, but I have a partner and I know the resentment's building up. Besides marriage counseling, is there any other things that really can be done to push towards addressing that? Absolutely. So you're going to find that a lot of my answers involved a lot of talking to each other. But one of the things that I always tell people is, you know, we get in these situations where physically or mentally, we just can't engage sexually. And there's a lot of articles out there that'll tell you, just do it. Just have the sex anyway, because sex is great and you'll remember you love it and whatever. And I think that's terrible advice. But I also think that we fall into the trap of just not doing it. Like just saying, well, sex is totally off the table. So what I tell people to do, especially people in couples, is to set aside some time every week or however often to really devote some thought to sex, right? Check in, see how am I feeling about sex today? Sometimes it's like it's not even on the radar. And sometimes it can be like, oh, sex sounds nice, but I'm so tired and you know all of these other things. And you can figure out how you're feeling about sex that day and you and your partner can talk about it which keeps them in the loop too. So it, sex doesn't become this hot button issue that it's going to be an argument whenever you bring it up. It becomes something that you can kind of stay on the same page about. And then in terms of activity, I think that's going to depend on everybody's relationship, right? So I'm in non-monogamous relationships, which means we all see other people. Some people find that that's helpful because it's not putting all of the sexual relationship in one basket, as it were. 
for other people, they find that engaging in mutual masturbation or because for some people, the topics of like porn and masturbation can be loaded. And I think allowing yourself some more freedom to explore those things can also give you that extra space to keep sex a kind of happy topic between you. And do you have a lot of that covered in the writings on your website? I do. And most of it falls under the work I do about depression, but it is applicable in lots of cases of chronic illness or the different things that honestly this year with COVID-19 with stress, a lot of the things I've been teaching have been getting applied in that way because people's stress levels are through the roof. If you go to my site and you go to redheadbedhead.com slash depression, it'll take you to all of those writings. And also most of that information has made its way into the book at this point. I think you look at the book and you think, well, I don't have depression. My partner doesn't have depression. But it's really stuff that is useful for helping us stay on the same page sexually with partners who are coping with really anything that is kind of tripping up our sexual relationship. Okay, yeah, that makes complete sense. Well, and as we talk and people start to build up that new relationship or even try and fix or correct some issues in a long-term relationship, one of the things I had mentioned earlier, and I hadn't mentioned it by the right name, was a yes-no-maybe list. And for the listeners, I'll have a link to the podcast Sex with Emily, her website, where you can find a yes-no-maybe list. But what's your thoughts on, on utilizing one of those for both new and existing relationships. Oh my God, I think it's a terrific idea. I really encourage everyone to do it because a lot of times, especially because sex, again, is a loaded topic and people get real nervous talking about it. We don't really express like, I'm really into this thing. I don't like that thing. I would do that thing if you wanted. We don't communicate the nuance of that. And so one partner will want to do something and the other one will try it for them. And then they'll have differing experiences and there'll be frustration. But with a yes, no, maybe list, it's really clear. It's, I know that you're really into that thing. You're really excited about it. I know that you will try this thing because I'm interested, but it might not be your cup of tea. So I'm going to check back with you to see how you felt about it after. It gives you that guide that, God, I wish we just naturally came with to navigate the different things you want to try and what you don't want to try and what's on the table for you and what's not on the table for you. And it's just a terrific thing to start off any sexual relationship with. I've always thought it's a great way to lay out all your cards on the table and say, here's what I like, don't like. And can you deal with this or can I deal with what you like, don't like, or maybe you're interested in? And I think for many people, they're going to find a lot more maybe boxes are checked than no. Yeah. And you're going to find where you have crossover in your maybe boxes, right? Where you both checked the same maybes and it might not have been something you ever would have thought to bring up with each other. But now you know that that's something you might want to explore together. Yeah. There's that stigma, that fear that if I bring it up, I'm pushy or I'm easy or whatever the terminology is the person wants to apply apply to themselves. It's really as an adult, if you're having you know, sex with this other person, if you can do that, then you should be able to talk about just about anything. Yes, seriously. It's true. Thank you, Joellen, so much for your time. Tell everybody again, what's the best spot to get your book? So my book is available all over the place. But if you want to see a list of places, because there's local shops, you can buy it and stuff too. If you go to my site, redheadbedhead.com slash monster, that'll take you to all things book related, including I have some signed copies available to residents of the U.S. that I can mail to you because my book tour got canceled due to COVID. Imagine that. <laughs> right? <laughs> Additionally, you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at Joellen Naughty, just my whole name. I'm always talking about my book and all of those other things there, too. Well, and for people that are listening outside the United States, 
It's available in the UK, Netherlands, Australia, New Zealand, and from some places where you can get it worldwide. So it's not a book topic that, oh, I'm in Australia, so I'm just out of luck. No, there's ways to order it. No, if you go to bookdepository.com, they do free worldwide shipping. They can get it to you wherever you are. Oh, fantastic. And then you can do, even if you don't want to wait for shipping, an ebook or an audio book. For all the listeners, I will have links to all of Joellen's stuff in the show notes. Please don't hesitate to reach out and connect with her via social media, whether it be Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, any of those. Ask questions, look at the topics. There's lots and lots of information that she has available on her website that can really not only help with the issue of depression and how it affects us both just in life and, and across things like sex, but also in dealing with how do I maybe get a, a relationship back on track or how do I take this relationship that's new and maybe set it off on the right course or in a way that I've never considered before. So there's lots of writings out there and I encourage you to go to redheadbedhead.com and look what's out there. And so Joellen, thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having me.